it's March 6th, 2023. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 244 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from our Rook studio in Toronto, Canada. Salam Thank you for tuning in wherever you are around the world. I hope you are doing well. Coming up today, Hushang Tozi, um, the great actor, producer, uh, Iranian-American star. Uh, he has just done a new, I guess you call it a teleplay, a play that he has performed on Manoto Television, and um, which is quite compelling. It's, it's, it's taking stories from the Shahnameh. It's kind of actually a play within a play. It's called Rostam is unaware of his son's, his son Sohrab's whereabouts. And um, it's basically an ode to the uprising, the revolution that's happening right now for freedom uh, in Iran. But interestingly enough, it was written, he started writing it five years ago. So it's kind of prescient. Uh, Husheng Atozi joining us from Los Angeles in just a little bit. And uh, it's my first chance to talk to him about being uh, on Broadway in The Kite Runner, too, this past year. So look forward to that. And Paymon Salimi. Our friend, the the singer songwriter, the music producer, the great guitarist. Uh, you're KNZ. You're a fan of Paymon Salimi, right? Yes, I am. Yes. Why are you a fan of Paymon Salimi? I heard a song. I think like a few years ago. The song called Shop, and ah. I loved it. I loved his like vocal arrangements. The cover of the Farmer's Aslani song. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Uh, he's great. He's, he's so, so he's so great. He's got. You're right. He's got a great vocal, and he's he's kind of known in some ways as the. The producer or the guitarist, like you mm-hmm. see him on stage with Ali Azimi, but yes. his own stuff is uh, great too. So Paymon Salimi is in Brussels. He's got a new album coming out in, in late April. So I guess the plan is, because we were talking about this before the show, he was sending, sending over music. We're going to preview yes. some of his new songs. So excited about uh, that. Which are connected to the, the revolution as well. Um, Paymon Salimi coming up. Uh, in just a, a little bit, actually after Hushang Atozi uh, Paymon in Brussels. Uh, yesterday, um, how was your weekend, Kanzi? It was nice. Mm-hmm. Yesterday I was at a demonstration. I didn't see yes, you. Yes, the human chain. Were you not there? I wasn't there, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't make well, it. Well, I'll tell you, you what, one thing that you escaped was the cold. Oh. Like I kind of can't, I, I take a lot of pride in the fact that we Torontonians or Iranian Canadians are trudging out there in the demonstrations and the but it really is starting to get annoying and uh because yesterday it was supposed like i was looking at the temperature or the forecast and it was supposed to be above zero five degrees six degrees celsius for those of you listening in places that use uh fahrenheit and and uh so i was so i just wore a leather jacket you know uh that's a bad idea well (laughs) It, I didn't think it would be, but anyway, yeah, it was. And then, of course, my mother, because I, uh, I, I went to visit my mother after the demonstration, and she said, "Yani lucht, rafti birun," like, and I'm, <laughs> it's, I'm not lucht. This is the, the mother thing where they say you're naked when you're, for some reason, you know, even though you're fully clothed, but yes. not wearing the appropriate, I don't know, 
<laughs> Canada goose coat or something. So uh, anyway, uh, it was very cold, but it was great to see that kind of gathering of, of people. Um, and uh, yeah, I saw I saw your photos and I saw other photos of it, which is great. I'm glad people are still coming out. I'm they are. I, yeah. I'm sad I missed it. I, I was doing work. I didn't just miss it because mm-hmm. I wasn't doing yeah. anything. No, but, I'm sure. You're working for the revolution, what you're doing, I'm yes. sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it, um, it was good to see everybody uh, who was out there, and thanks to the organizers of that uh, human chain in Toronto. I know there's events going on around the world. I don't mean to be Toronto-centric, or Richmond Hill, actually, is where it was. It wasn't even in the city of Toronto. It was north of Toronto in an area we called Richmond Hill and um, Markham. But they did a good job of organizing that uh, and trying to keep this... Uh, keep the spirit going here in terms of supporting uh, Iran. So before we get to Hushang Atozi and Paymon Salimi, we'll do a Rook Roundtable. Pega is away today, but I am happy to announce in her stead here sitting in the studio is, prog- is producer, broadcaster, uh, Canadian correspondent for Iran International, Masa Mortazavi. Hello. Salam. Nice to have you back. Durud. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to have you here. I saw you in the demonstration yesterday. I saw you, and I want to say you were locked. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. You agree with my... Don't <laughs> feed do. my mother. I, I, am, I am going to, because I saw you freezing. And I was holding the microphone myself, and my hands were freezing off. And then I looked at you, and I saw that you were... You looked cold. So obviously what you were wearing yeah. wasn't enough. I really thought that it was going to be warmer uh, and that I was holding a flag too and I had to, you know, and I didn't have my gloves and yeah, the whole thing was, but it was, you know, it was good to be there and you, you have to work these things. You go to these I things do. and you run around interviewing people. Um, and did, I mean, do you, when you do, so there's been so many demonstrations in Toronto, how do you choose the ones you're going to go to or do you cover them all? I try. Well, I can't be in the same place at the same time, uh, in two places at the same time. Um, so I try to choose the ones that have more people. And Richmond Hill is the area that Persians are. So they usually come out where is north. Um, and so usually when we have demonstrations happening in downtown area and we have one in Richmond Hill, um, based on my experience, the Richmond Hill ones, they have more turnouts. So I go there. Mm. And the then I do have another strategy. I, I send uh, a separate camera person to the other place and get some footage, and I add it to my report if it's necessary. And what was the most interesting thing uh, that somebody said to you yesterday, even if it didn't make your uh, make it on the air? I get some angry comments from people, honestly, and it makes me sad because I've been trying so hard, and I know all the journalists have been trying so hard mm. to cover everything. But it's just that a point that people are angry because the revolution is not going forward and it makes it difficult for them to continue because of the circumstances happening in Iran and every day there is something new adding yes. to the situation. So I understand the, the frustration, but I would comment to those people who um, come to us as journalists and give us harsh comments to cool down because it's they not were, helping. They were complaining that you weren't covering something or? Uh, they were asking, it, why aren't you saying this and that? And yeah. why is Iran International not saying this and that? And I don't watch all the programs right. on Iran International. You're not I responsible for all the programs on Iran. And I, like, yeah. honestly, I can't comment on everything because I don't watch everything. Yeah. I don't have the time to watch everything that airs on Iran International. So be kind to one, each other, one another and 
let's move forward. Well, the guy, there was guy, a guy standing two over from me on uh, in the human chain. At one point when you walked by, he said, do you know where this woman is from? And I was like, um, where's this going? And he said, international. He was like really impressed oh, that okay. you were there as Simone International. <laughs> yeah, he was really excited about it. Well, uh, to segue into talking about the real stuff here, it's it's hard doing these programs because on the one hand, I don't want to be a downer, mm-hmm. you know, and I know, I, and frankly, I know it's not good for business. It's I'm not as happy to listen to my Arsenal podcast if we lose, you know, because I know the guys are going to be like, oh, let's talk about how bad the game was, uh, and and it's hard to to do a a show that everybody wants to listen to if you're just kind of seeing the negatives. And, and so I try not to do that. On the other hand, I don't want to be a fake cheerleader and sort of be pretending everything's, come on, go team, isn't it great? Because uh, it isn't. So the reality is, uh, I thought last week was a really bad week for for Iranians. Um, I really did. I really thought what happened with the Human Rights Council with uh, platforming the, the foreign minister of the Islamic Republic, not walking out at all, um, Some not, did. Well, no, no. Actually, the ones who did were NGOs or some, you know, ministers. But the, but none of the major players. What? No, no foreign minister or or ambassador walked out. Uh, in fact, some of them, as you know, had meetings with him, uh, famously right. on television. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the platforming of this guy uh, after this, this campaign for a walkout, uh, the death of of Piruz, um, which was more of a symbolic blow, but mm-hmm. also a um, a symbolic um, example of the dysfunction of this 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 country at this point, and then of course this the horrible story of the of the poisoning of of schoolgirls and which continues the story continues but it really became quite animated uh, um, last week. Um, it, it was just a it was a tough week I think to to objectively I know as I said on Thursday there were some opposition leaders quote unquote speaking in places and getting meetings and things like that and there's that that type of activity is happening but it was hard to really objectively look at this and go we won the week the revolution is moving forward in a big way did you feel that yes so there are weeks that not not everything turns out the way you hope for it to be and it's okay um, because it's a part of the revolution i'm not going to be a happy cheerleader either But I see stuff happening outside of Iran in comparison to inside of Iran. And I see that the revolution is still alive because we have 8 million people outside of Iran who are mostly very much active every day, every week. Like I've been covering this for the past almost six months. And there hasn't been a week that there hasn't been a demonstration here in Toronto. I know that uh, other places in Canada, every week something is happening. I see it and they send it on social media to me and everybody's so eager for us to cover their story because they want to reflect on what they're doing to support Iranians inside of Iran. And as you also mentioned yesterday, when we had an interview, you said that we want for the people of Iran to hear what we're doing for them. So what's happening is that, in the demonstrations that are happening here outside of Iran, um, we are um, taking away the 
legitimacy of the Iranian government. Mm-hmm. And this is a part of, of um, a government to be successful. Mm-hmm. They have to have some credit outside of their country when it's taken away from them. And we see that it's Great happening. Point. Great we point. see it's happening. Yeah. E- every time that there is a demonstration in each country, we see the people of that country, the leaders of that country mm-hmm. turn out to come in the demonstration to support people. I've had multiple interviews with leaders of Canada. The uh, previous one was with uh, the Minister of uh, Immigration, Mm -hmm. where they had released some new uh, laws and regulations for the people of Iran who are already in Canada to stay here. And at the end, he said, and it makes me feel so good. Yeah, but they're all saying that, Masa. I know. They're all saying that. Well, you have to pretend. Justin Trudeau's walking out there and, and, and the, the German government is saying this and, the, and the, um, the, the Swedish foreign minister. And then they turn around and have meetings with, um, with the foreign minister of, of the Islamic Republic or they don't put the IRG. You also interviewed Melissa Lansman, who's, a, who's an opposition uh, um, member here in Canada, who so, was explaining that there, there doesn't seem to be any legitimate reason yeah. for not putting the IRGC on the terrorist list. So the problem is, is this really lip service? I mean, when I talk about last week being a bad, a bad week, it was really, not to sound naive, but it was really, truly a moment where you could look at the landscape. And by the way, I didn't add the fact that there's rumors, there's all kinds of uh, chatter coming out of the U.S. where they're they're angling for a deal with, with Iran, you know, we hear in different, different ways, right? So no matter what people are saying, no matter what the lip service is, it seems pretty clear that for now, the status quo, business as usual, let's deal with the regime, let's you know hedge our bets that there's no revolution for now. That seems to be the dominant thinking of the West. Of so, the West? Of the West, of, of, of West, Western leaders, of, of, uh, et cetera. I can argue on that. Go ahead. I will. Where's your okay. evidence? Where so, have the ambassadors been recalled? Where have the embassies been closed? Where have, the, where have they put the IRGC on the terrorist list? No, they haven't. But there's still the sanctions are ongoing. Uh, they haven't stopped. As long as they haven't stopped, I hope for something good to come out of it. As long as we continue to be on the streets in every country, there is still hope. Of and course, I, and I'm not I saying there's no hope. And I understand that people in Iran are scared because now it's not only people who are on the streets. It's now schoolgirls who are yes. just going to school and having their normal life, and they're they, many of them will end up not going to school for the rest of their lives. Let's get to that. Let's okay. get I want to bring I'll ask you specifically about the I will, school girl I will, situation. But I uh, will continue for the, for the for the point that you were making um in regards with the revolution and um not having any reflection or not as much as we want in the western countries. I would say that it's still ongoing and as long as it's ongoing and we see things happening there's still hope and we should you know, I was I was listening to Hamid Ismailiun the other day, and mm-hmm. he was saying that you don't have to come up with a list of new items every time you have a meeting with a leader. It's just continuing to put pressure on the same Fair. point, Fair. same point every day, every day. So what I hear in the demonstrations every time I go is put IRGC on the terrorist list. And I now hear that members of the parliament, they chant with people mm-hmm. to put members, to put IRGC on the terrorist I list. feel like you've interviewed too many liberal cabinet ministers. Now you're friends with them and you don't want to be too hard on them anymore. No, that's not uh, true. Uh, uh, <laughs> Pierre Polyev is a good friend of mine. This, listen, <laughs> don't make rumors. The, the, first of all, I'm not saying there isn't hope. I wouldn't be on a demonstration yesterday if I didn't think there was hope. So 
I completely agree that there is hope. And I do believe 100% the goalposts have moved, right? If you compare where we were at last August to where things are at today, it's unthinkable. I mean, you know, we could have never imagined that, first of all, there is a... Uh, diaspora, there are Iranians around the world are united on the idea that there has to be reg- regime change. There right. isn't that debate anymore between reform and regime mm-hmm. and or change. Um, we we have de facto kind of opposition type figures that people can now, uh, who are getting invited to speak in parliaments and all of that, that's a huge step forward. And in, even in, inside Iran, we also have, despite all the difficulties, women refusing to wear the hijab and, and bravely doing so, and the ground has shifted. There's no question about that. I, I guess what, what I wanna be realistic about is when we do an episode like we did last Thursday, uh, Voices from Inside Iran, which is a series we've been doing where, as you know, we interview these people who have been the protesters. Been the, they're on the front lines. They're, they're arguably the most optimistic because they're the ones who were going out on the streets. And we talked to people last week and we changed their names and we protect them. We talked to them in Tabriz. We talked to people in Tehran. We talked to people in Mashhad. And all of them, all of them said, feeling pretty hopeless. Nothing going on here. The regime is cracked down. Everyone's terrified. It just is, the, the thing that concerns me is that, and by the way, they, they extremely, they all say they appreciate the demonstrations outside. They see them, whether it's in Brussels, whether it's in Sydney, whether it's in Toronto, whether it's in Los Angeles, whether it's in New York, they, Vancouver, Calgary, they see it in Iran. They see it partly because of your coverage. They see it and they appreciate it and it gives them energy. And so that's why I know it's important to keep doing that, right? Because the, the kid in Tabriz tells me it's important to us. But... I do feel like we have an enthusiasm outside of Iran that sometimes may be feeding into an unrealistic expectation of how quickly this thing is going to go when you actually talk to the people inside Iran. And my fear is is what happens if the diaspora that is that has been so activated uh, becomes deflated and stops putting the the pressure on. If the delta is too great between what's actually going on and the expectations, there's this, oh, it's not happening this time, let's all go home. And that's what I don't want to happen. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm coming from. This is where the leaders come in because every movement has to have leaders. And we have a group of leaders that is forming that is now in the beginning stages of, um, of doing stuff. And now people are going to rely on what they're going to give them so what has been going on with the eight people who are trying to gather up and lead mm-hmm. what's going on in Iran they are mostly focusing on how they should hire or or make groups of uh, specialists mm-hmm. on each individual um, aspect of the country inside Iran either it's mohitazist um, or or whatever it is like in different aspects so the economy or the, the economy or yeah. whatever education whatever so when they have their groups they're going to lead people and for us um, our responsibility is to keep it alive until that happens everybody has to take their own responsibility in this puzzle mm-hmm. and as long as we do our part we don't have like 
I, as a person, I don't have control over everything that happens. Mm. The only thing I can do is that I can keep my hopes and continue what I believe in. Because when you believe in something, you're, you're going to lead your way towards it. And if people in Iran, they believe in a regime change, which I, which I think they do, and it's past that phase that they think that they can fix mm -hmm. what's going on in Iran, as long as we believe it, it's going to happen. Let me ask you if this is what you're saying. You're saying, despite the fact that the diaspora, the people, the Iranians outside of Iran, this incredible surge of of demonstrative uh, unity for change in Iran that we've seen in cities around the world, despite the fact that that was actually inspired by brave people on the streets of Iran. If you remember, you know, September and October, right. we're watching young women, young mm -hmm. boys, young people in Iran leading this thing, and we're, we're trying to follow them. Mm -hmm. You're saying even if that has stopped for now or paused or is unable to continue, the diaspora has to keep it going. It's our turn. We keep the we keep we the keep activity the going. Keep the keep keep holding the torch. Uh, we don't get disheartened or deflated if if things are not visibly happening uh, in Iran, and we continue doing this, uh, knowing that any moment the right also, match lights and, yeah. and things can change. Yeah, yeah, basically that's what I'm saying. But I, at the same time, I'm not saying that we should be separated from the society in Iran and do our own thing and let them be what they are being right now. It's, it's a combination of being a part of that society and at the same time take benefit from, from the freedom of speech that we have here and how far we've become, we've come mm -hmm. from, from September mm -hmm. until now. And keep on putting pressure on the leaders. I know that the eight people, the, the we call it Shorai Hambastegi, mm -hmm. I don't know what it is in English. Um, I really leaders, don't know what to call them because they're not officially leaders. No, they're they, not uh, a coalition. Yeah. What they are is that they are eight people who are trying. Representatives. Representative. Okay. So these people, they are also in touch with people inside of Iran. Mm -hmm. It's not that they are deciding on sure. their own. and. It doesn't matter how connected you are to Iran, Iran. When you are outside of Iran, there are points that you won't understand. Even if, as myself, even if somebody like myself is reviewing the news every day, mm -hmm. and I am so connected to Iran that I feel that I understand everything that's been going on in Iran. But I'm not understanding because I think the revolution is still very hot in Iran. But actually, it's not. One of the parts of this, uh, the the. Um, symbol of this movement, Zan Zendegi Azadi, is Zendegi. Zendegi means continuing with your life. Mm. So if you're continuing with your life in Iran, you're not doing a bad thing. Even if I, if, even if I am happy for some moments in my life, because each person can't be a revolutionary right. person right. 24/7, gotcha. right? Yeah. Yes, and, and I, I guess again, what what I'm saying is, um, I know people who are quite well connected who are very sharp who are thinkers and who've been very involved in Iranian affairs and Iranian community who as of October were saying this thing's over in three months where the the, the regime's going to be toppled do, do you know anybody like that yeah did you interview people even, even not just some random person on the street but it but thinkers people who follow this stuff people who are involved maybe people who are politically active who thought this thing was going to end pretty quickly I've talked to people uh what I encounter mostly is that people, they, they thought that this would um, be quiet in a few months, but the revolution will go on 
in different ways. No. Because no. it's a, it's a Sorry, change. Sorry, I disagree. Of- that's, I, I don't believe that. I know that that's what people are saying now. There was a moment in October, November when there was a lot of excitement. Let's be real here. That where, where people thought, this is just going to keep growing and keep going. And there was really not a lot of people coming out going, actually, this is going to take years. They, even even at the top level of analysis, it was like uh, Iran government teetering on the brink and all all of this stuff. There are still people who, who say that. Okay. All, so what I'm saying is for those folks, it's that this has been a disappointment because yes. now they're starting to realize the regime isn't going to be gone by Noru's. You know, no. that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, so my, con- so, so I've seen two reactions to that. One is people who double down and let's keep going out there. Let's do what we can to support. Let's keep the focus. The other reaction is I'm going back to my posting my selfies and, uh, and having a, having a life that's completely devoid of any more uprising stuff because it, it's not happening right now. Have you seen anybody posting a selfie? lately what do you mean like going back to normal life. of course i see lots of people with a like a a friend at a restaurant or partying or dancing you have yes i haven't well you're (laughs) i don't i don't (laughs) you only follow political people i suppose (laughs) of course every other i mean i look you could even see the numbers come on the demonstrations i know it's cold here in toronto and we say it's great that we're all coming out and stuff but it's not what it was in, no, in october it's not, you know it's it's, it's Honestly, there's a it's there's not. there's a there's a fatigue there's a, con- a concern there's a disappointment there's maybe i'll wait and see if things happen i mean i want us to i love to really embrace the idea that revolutions don't happen overnight there's peaks and valleys it's going to it's a long it's a it's going to take some time uh, but i hope that people stay on board despite weeks like last week because it can be a a punch in the gut. Yes, let's hope for that. I'm lucky to have you here because uh, you work for Iran International and two weeks ago, the big story was something about your network Mm -hmm. having to leave the UK. I thought this was, I did an opening essay about it because it was so horrendous, the idea that an independent media organization has to leave a country that isn't Iran because of Iran. Um, yeah. what, do you have any update on this or what, what is going on with this? There is not much that is shared with us. What, what I know as a journalist who is not even in London is that on February 18, everybody had to work from different places. Um, many of my colleagues, they flew to Washington, D.C., where our other offices, and they're working 24-7, and it's a change for them because it was only like a few hours a day, and it's a smaller studio, it's a smaller space, and it's, a, it's there are a few people who are working there, and they, they are not a complete team. They weren't a complete team. Uh, so they had to work around the situation and make it happen, and they're doing a great job. Honestly, I've seen people working 18 hours. So is anyone working out of London now? No. Are they back to work in London? No, nobody's back to work. No, they can't. Because the building that we were in, in London, is, uh, is is a building that there are many other offices there. And the police was saying to us that if if you are working here, you're not only endangering your lives, but endangering many people's lives mm. because it's a it's a business park, uh, it's a big area, and there are I don't know hundreds of people working there. So and it, it presumably safe. there was threats coming in. Yes, so. so they arrested a person, and that person revealed some information that was very scary, 
and uh, reveal that there are things going on that we don't even know. And not only me, none of our people, we mm -hmm. don't know the details, mm -hmm. only our security manager knows it. And um, he's been in touch with the police in London and they are offering a new studio for us that is in a separated area that isn't, that isn't um, a place that people go by. So the threats are minimal and um, some of our team will operate from there because honestly the work our people are doing in DC is very tiring and I, uh, I really compliment them on what they're doing. I mean, I, I have to think that if you're gonna work for Iran International in this moment, an entire network that has obviously declared its position is um, not favorable to the, mm -hmm. the regime in Iran, that there's gonna be implications to this kind of a, you know, because uh, it's a brutal regime and that's its, that's its hallmark. Uh, that said, uh, the reality is pretty scary, you know. When I, I couldn't believe this. I don't. I don't even know if I've heard anything quite like this. That in a separate country, an entire network having to relocate. Tell me how you dealt with it personally. So personally, you know, Canada is a second home to people with connections with with the Islamic Republic. Unfortunately, we see more people flying in, and they're taking benefit from the the things that is in place for people who are damaged by the Islamic Republic, and they're not saying that they are one of those people. So they are uh, taking refuge here and building their lives with the money of people and having a beautiful life here. And at the same time, they are threatening people like myself. Um, and I've been threatened and I have been to the police. And to be honest with you, in some demonstrations that I expect m many people to, to be there, I take my personal security person because I don't feel safe. And, and my network understands the risk for everybody, not only people in London. So this is something that is ongoing around the world where we have our correspondence. Um, what it was personally to me, I saw it coming because we've been thinking about it for many months. The building in London was uh, protected by many officers and security people for months. And we saw it coming. We knew that they wouldn't stop until they um, progressed to the level that we stopped working in London. So they behind the scenes, I know that there were preparations happening. But as I said, because these are very security concerned, I don't have that much information, mm. unfortunately. When you say um, that, that there are Iranians that come, is that the, related to the regime, that come to Canada using the benefits that are meant for legitimate uh, immigrants or refugees, give us an example of that. It's an important point. Yeah. So. One example that everybody knows about, because I don't want to like, um, I don't want to put blames or I don't want to point fingers at anybody mm -hmm. that we don't know. One person that we really know about is Sardar Talai. When you remember last summer, he was walking on a treadmill here in Richmond Hill, yeah. close to the area that all of us live. And uh, well, he had a visa. He had a visa to come here. And he was one of the people who was responsible for uh, oppressing people in Iran, especially women. Um, he was the chief of police in Tehran. So um, the immigration system has a crack. And we, should, we should accept this mm -hmm. fact mm -hmm. that people can fall through the cracks and come to Canada and stay here. And we know that there, there are many people. Like I, have, uh, I see reports from Canadian networks like CBC, Global News, that they specifically target a, a specific person yeah. and they go for yeah. them. And we do the same, we, we report on those people, but this is something that has to be researched. And um, we are in a lawful country, 
we have to go by the rule of law. So we have to, if, as, as, as I talk to many people in the Canadian government, they um, usually uh, suggest that if anybody knows any information about those people with ties to the Islamic Republic, they should go to their uh, MP yep. or yep. RCMP yeah. and inform them about like having, having legit documents yeah. that shows that. It's, it's, it's ironic, isn't it, that uh, Canada has got to be... Um, one of the most galvanized places in terms of uh, the opposition diaspora opposition to what's happening in Iran to the uh, you know in, in terms of supporting freedom for Iran a big big community big big uh, demonstrations in Vancouver you see it in, there was a huge one in Montreal there's Calgary there's there's you know in Winnipeg and Ottawa and of course here in Toronto in the greater Toronto area um, and yet it's also where the Canada's the haven for you know we hear this over and over again and we see evidence of it and it's it's ex extremely dispiriting i haven't seen anybody expelled i really hope to see somebody expelled from canada because i'm starting this is the point that i'm start, starting to lose my faith in the canadian government because as i said like you have to put pressure on the same point over and over again for the past three years i personally have been responsible for putting pressure on that specific point mm. i have talked to many people in the Canadian government, I have asked them, what are the evidence that you can show me that you have done something about this happening? Mm -hmm. You can't just say that we don't want this to be a safe mm -hmm. haven for, mm -hmm. for these people. But I haven't seen anything. Um, I know I can't keep you here forever. Let, let me get to the big story. Maybe we buried the, the lead here, that the big story that we would have to deal with at the round table here before we get to Husheng Atozi and Paymon Salimi. Um, this is these horrific poison attacks. I don't even know what to call them at this point. Is mm -hmm. it poison attack? Is it chemical warfare mm -hmm. uh, on Iranian schoolgirls, on university students? Uh, what What is your take on this at this point? They call it bioterroristic attacks because they use um, a combination of poisonous gases and uh, they throw it in schools, which is brutal because schoolgirls, why would you do that? Yeah, like the, the most vulnerable group of the society is girls who go to school, right? And um, so I have some numbers here for you. Um, so far up to this morning, there were 230 schools attacked. Wow. Uh, starting it was from 50 three last Thursday. No, it's from three months ago uh, because yes. the first ones started. Three yes, but it's it in the last week we've said we found out about so many. Yes, so many so, uh, from the la from last week up to now. It's 115. Yeah. And then um, it's been in two thirds of the provinces of the country, so it's going so fast. I remember when it was only limited to Qom. Qom, yeah. And then it was like in a week, two thirds of the country, five thousand. In the beginning, students. we thought. Uh, I mean, we thought, but it seemed like okay, maybe this is a, a horrible one-off. Something a somebody did something does. stupid yeah. at a you know. Uh, but then it, we start to find out that it's it's more and it's more and more widespread. They blame it on Hazara people. I don't know. Um, a group of uh, radical Islamists that they do this because they believe that girls shouldn't go to school. Anyway, so 5,000 students were affected. Uh, the sad thing about this is that it's not being taken seriously, despite the fact that Khamenei came on and said that we sh this should be taken very seriously and they should be punished to the max. Hmm. Um, 
but we don't know if this is something that the government is doing or a, a separate group is doing. So um, until we find out what's happening, I guess. But the I, point has been made. Uh, mm-hmm. Many times, I mean, it was made here on the roundtable last week. Hamid Esmailun made it on Twitter today. Uh, how can this be happening without the complicity of the right. the regime? <laughs> right. I mean, it's at this point, it's impossible. It's inconceivable, right? For that, a regime who finds a killer in a crowd in twenty three days and executes that person, correct? It shouldn't be that hard of a of a thing to. They can find they can find the schools. couple dancing out front of uh, uh, on the street somewhere, but right. they can't somehow find. Um, and and as one of our roundtable people last Dario was saying last Thursday, uh, I didn't necessarily know this. Um, schools and particularly schools for girls in Iran have quite a security apparatus yes. around them. So it's not like anybody could just walk in and do anything. You have to mm-hmm. you, you, mothers coming up to coming to pick their daughter up have to show ID and right. so this is. Um, Absurd that there would be any notion that the that the regime doesn't doesn't know about this. Um, do you believe it's these Islamist no? Uh, I terrorists? think it's a distraction from what's happening for the revolution. Uh-huh. I, I I personally believe it's a distraction. They want people to focus on their safety, and they want people to believe that they they are lucky to have safety if everything goes back to normal. Because they're going to later on, they're going to blame this on. Um, the groups that are trying to terror the community yep. and and when it's all done they're going to be happy like people are going to be happy that the Islamic Republic saved them yep. so I believe it's a distraction I mean, KNZ made this point last week which is basically that the number one tool that this, this regime has used since day one really was mm-hmm. fear and uh, the, the heartbreaking part of this is that the one generation that seemingly had escaped the the trauma of dealing with that fear had been the new generation that was you know leading these protests the teenagers to, you know we we made such a we've been saying how brave they are and this is targeted at them mm-hmm. don't think you can get away with this we're going right. to po- we're going to fucking poison you mm-hmm. you know um and you were making the point Kenzie that about the about this also being a way to target the you know to to scare the parents so the parents then double down on saying, nope, you're not going out on the street. No more protests for you because look at what's yes. happening. Yeah, right? That, that was, was that was what I said last week. And I think it's such a such a manipulative way to be able to sort of bring down the whole heat of the revolution by like scaring them and also distracting them, as you were saying, is just very, very disappointing. It, it becomes a bit of a trope to, to say, where's the media, where's the Western media? But I have to say on this one, you know, uh, as two people who've been working in the media for a long time, I'm, I'm pretty surprised that this isn't a, like, deliberate poisoning of chemical attacks on stud- uh, kids, on schoolgirls, on students, uh, that that isn't a big story in the West is, is I guess evidence that the Western media, if there was any caring about what's going on in Iran, has sort of given up on that. Oh yeah, bad things happen there. We know there's a regime, some people oppose it, right? Well, there are things happening everywhere in the world and the the media um, is covering as much as they can. I know it's a very big story and it should be covered more, but I, um, I've seen it covered in, in many platforms. I've seen um, 
What, what is lacking is the reaction from UNICEF and UNESCO and, and responsible organizations because when they step in, then that's going to become a bigger story and then the media is going to come up and say, like, here is what UNESCO says. As you said, like in Iran, everything happens is not good. Anything that is happening these yeah. days is making bad stories. So yeah. the media- But I have to say, you're absolutely right. There's a lot going on in the, around the world. We can't expect the, the Western media to pick up every little story of what's, you know. But this is really macabre. This is, this is evil horror movie stuff that I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, it breaks my heart that we're not seeing this in, in New York Times front page, you know. Right. Schoolgirls poisoned intentionally by the government I mean, geez, you know. Do they have the evidence to say it's a government? I know we believe it's a, it's the government, but for for a media to come up and say it's the government, they have to have evidence, oh, right? Okay, so they say, you know, uh, uh, assumed Allegedly. to be alleged. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's, you know, I think the New York Times has written hasn't written stuff like that yeah. about. Other, I mean, of course, you could, you know, there's ways to, to, you know, safely make these statements. Right. Um, trying to think of something uplifting to end on okay <laughs> let's see let's, do you want to talk about uh, what's coming up in toronto uh, you can go ahead and talk about that i i wanted to thank you for for being here it's always a, a pleasure to get your insights sure you want to you've got something uplifting to talk about in toronto i, was I could talk say, about my, it was a great weekend for my football team that's my greatest distraction watching okay. arsenal you know there's just i mean it was like the best. It was the best week. I've actually, I'm actually giving up on being a football fan because it was the, the soccer fan because it was the best weekend I could ever have in terms of what our team did and what happened to other teams. So that yeah, you that's know, you my always news. get me lost when you talk about football because I don't <laughs> understand a word of it. Right, right. But anyway, um, so as an uplifting thing mm-hmm. and as as a reference to the coalition or the Guruha Hamvastigi or whatever you want to call it, um, there are going to be things happening here in Toronto yes. and it's going to be big. So. Yes. Um, um, I hope people hang in there until that happens. We will, no okay. doubt, no doubt. Uh, realistic talk doesn't mean we're not we're, we're giving up. No chance. Thank you, Masajan. Always good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for all the work you're doing. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to any and all of our platforms. We're on an ongoing mission to build this new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. So rookmedia.com is the handle. And if you go there, you can press our support us button and become a Rook member at our Patreon page. We appreciate it. You become uh, the recipient of the Rook newsletter, um, special benefits we give you and extra programming. I want to thank Mo Nezorati, Mo Nezorati, who's just become a bronze member uh, on Patreon. Thank you, Mo. And thank you to all of you who have become Rook members on Patreon. Again, you go to rookmedia.com. This is how we keep things going here. We crowdsource rookmedia.com. Press the support us button and become a Patreon member at the bronze, uh, silver, or gold level. All right, let's get to our first guest today. My featured guest today, first up, is a renowned Iranian-American playwright and actor who's built a solid career of popular works in the diaspora over the last four decades. Hushang Tozi founded a Los Angeles-based production company, Workshop 79, with the mission to produce satirical works in Persian outside of Iran. Their major hits from Satellite with Love, The Great Escape, and Iranian in Heaven are all socio-political satires about Iranians 
in the diaspora. And you have, of course, also seen Hu Shang in high-profile American movies and TV series such as Argo, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Homeland, and Into the Night. His latest work... Rostam is unaware of his son Sohrab's whereabouts is a teleplay that aired on Manoto TV last week and right now. It's a great pleasure to have Hushang Atozi back on the program joining us from Los Angeles. Hello, sir. Hello, Gian. Thank you so much for having me. Hello to you and hello to your dear listeners. I'm so happy to be here. It's always an honor to have you on. And, you know, we had you on... um, I guess it'd be a a year ago or something, and it was pre-uprising. But, you know, you spoke of, of course, of your frustrations with this Islamic Republican regime then. Um, I've been eagerly anticipating having you back on the show to ask you, how, how have you been processing the last six months in this uh, historic time for Iranians? Yeah, in one hand, I'm so, so very heartbroken. I'm sure we all are of what is happening on the streets of Iran. And on the other hand, I'm so very hopeful. I mean, this is for the first time I can really imagine people are going to win. Uh, As you know, like four years ago, there was a guy here in in LA and would say, um, uh, pack your suitcases, pack your suitcases. And we are going back, we are going back. These mullahs are stupid and, you know, they are illiterate. Uh, they cannot rule. So uh, soon we're going to go back to Iran. So it, it took like 43 years old. Hmm. And after that, whoever said, no, we are going, we are going to. And I never believed it, never. But this time, from bottom of my heart, I'm, I'm believing it. Let me ask you, I mean, I'm going to ask you about your your teleplay that you've just done on Manitou in a moment, but let, just as somebody who I identify, I'm not sure how you, if you'll like this or not, as one of, as a Los Angeles, you know, staple and Iranian American who's been in New York and LA for a long time, what has it been like to be in LA with the community at this time? Have you been um, talk to me about the about the unity you felt, or um, whether it's felt like a different time, even for what is known as one of the largest diasporic communities we have of Iranians. What has it been like in LA for you? Um, first of all, during the last six months, I was not here in LA. I'm, I'm just uh, back from London. I was uh, a month in London. And before that, I was five months in New York. Right. But I was in one demonstration in Los Angeles and, um, and a few demonstrations in New York. It was amazing, amazing. And one demonstration, the last demonstration, big demonstration in London. Uh, but so in a sense, I know I, I can be, I can see the differences. In LA, everybody is doing something. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's uh, taking some steps. That's amazing. I mean, I saw your Instagram posts from New York, and New York, of course, is a much smaller Persian community. But there were thousands on the streets, and that—that was—it's amazing to see. You know, the places where you don't expect uh, to see that kind of support, to see that. Right. Um, w- one of the things that we were just talking about right before you came on with. Um, 
Maso Mortazavi was this increasing delta that I feel between the enthusiasm we're feeling in the diaspora, Hushengjian, and what may be happening on the ground in Iran. So, for example, you know, we just only a couple of weeks ago had that massive rally in the city that you're now sitting in, uh, Los Angeles, with Reza Pahlavi being treated like it was like a rock star welcome, and there was 80,000 people in the streets and all of that. And then, you know, we have this episode of Rook last Thursday where I'm talking to young protesters inside Iran who are feeling quite alone and feeling like things have slowed down and feeling a little bit hopeless at times. Um, do you worry about that disconnect between what we all want to be happening outside and what is actually happening inside? I couldn't agree with you more. This is something that I'm, I'm really sad about specifically in Los Angeles. I've been in that 80,000 or 60,000, or some people said 180,000, but we've been there and we know it wasn't 180,000. So anyway, I think in Los Angeles, and maybe it's natural that people living in, uh, in poverty are, are different than people living in, you know, in luxury in Los Angeles. I don't want to say everybody is living in luxury here but the whole city of la is an entertaining city i've seen some people that they're so happy coming to demonstrations mm -hmm. and hug each other kiss each other start laughing together you know so i was so shocked i'm telling you you have to see the sadness in the faces in the movements but i haven't seen that i've seen that in in in, in london I've seen that in uh, New York, there was so more serious. So if people in Iran, young generation on the streets, see those clips, of course, they are going to feel uh, empty or alone. One of the things, speaking of serious doings, one of the things that I feel like you're a master of as an artist is speaking through your work, Is is... Um, trying to have an influence on ideas and conversation, um, discussion via what you do uh, and what you do as a as a producer, as a writer, as an as an actor, um, you've made a career of that, and you've done it again with this um, latest teleplay, uh, which. Uh, I understand you'd been working on the seeds of for years, but it feels like it's very resonant for this moment. So let me ask you: this—it's called in English. We we say we would say Rostam is unaware of his son Sohrab's whereabouts. This aired on Manoto uh, last week. Recently, you had been writing this play for years. What did you want to accomplish with it originally? Uh, as you said, um, I started Shaira Nogray, which I remember you saw it in Toronto five years ago. And then, and in one part, uh, Farrakhstad says, um, believe me, soon the people of Iran are going to be so fed up of the regime and they go on the streets and uh, shout down with dictator. So that happened. And this specific um, dialogue was not from him. It was from the writer. And three years ago, when we when we uh, faced a pandemic, and I was I had nothing to do, uh, so I started uh, working on this idea which I had years ago, but I never dared to do that. But I said, you know what, I'm going to write it, 
forget about taking it on a stage. I'm going to write it and print. But later, something came to me that I have to go on, perform this piece. And we did. And eventually, right before I had to go to New York for that Broadway show, for some reason, I thought it's better to make it as a teleplay, which we did. I hope one day we can take it on a stage. And because there are like more than 30 actors in it, I cannot bring it, unfortunately, to uh, your country, your, um, um, Toronto. But at least we can do it on, uh, in Los Angeles. But anyway, what I wanted to do is to compare the culture of son killing, um, daughter killings, which you know is so popular in Iran, mm. honor killings, da 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 da. And uh, so I wanted to I wanted to compare this today and a thousand years ago. Mm. And thousand years ago, Rostam was a national hero. And in the beginning, we have this question that is Rostam a national hero or a professional killer? Mm-hmm. Because Rostam would go to um, to um, Turan, another country or other countries. And uh, of course, he was, he was a victor. But what he did in that country, he brought everything from that country back to Iran. Even horses, cows, uh, all the jewelries, women, you know. So Rostam is dear for us Iranian. I admit that. Uh, but I wanted to, to find an answer for this cultural shortcoming cultural horrible thing as an old generation why you are not aware of the young generations well i was i was i was going to ask you i was going to say in fact before when when i was watching your teleplay and thinking about it i was wondering if the allegory is that sohrab is the representative of the young iranian people um yeah. so does it follow that that's that's what who sohrab is in your rendering yes it is in the beginning a woman is in a demonstration is seeking for his son, which happens to be, uh, to be called Sohrab. Not the same Sohrab. And then he finds the Ravi, the storyteller, and says, Sir, have you seen my son? Uh, uh, storyteller says, all of these sons, all of these boys are Sohrab. They're all Sohrab. They're all heroes. Sohrab is a beloved character in Shahnameh. So I think Sohra is like, you know, Imam Hussein for Muslims, you know? Mm-hmm. He was so uh, innocent and he gets killed very innocently. Yes. I mean, it's interesting. I'm curious to hear what kind of feedback you've gotten on this because as you say, both, as far as I've, I've always known, both Rostam and Sohrab are considered heroes, albeit very different heroes in our sort of Iranian Persian lore. Um, so there are certainly going to be people out there who would take umbrage at the idea of Rostam being an allegory. Have you heard from those people? I know I'm so happy that people love this teleplay, no, but, but I'm sure it, uh, it upsets a lot of people. I'm sure it does. Yeah, I, mean, I was curious to hear whether. Tell tell me about this. Was partly inspired, as I understand it, by a man named Abbas Nalbandian. Yes. What can you tell us about him? Okay, Abbas Nalbandian 
wonderful, wonderful playwrights in Iran. Abbas Nalbandian was also the director of the Drama Bookshop of Tehran, a very avant-garde center for art, for, for theater. So um, one of the playwrights, and he was an accepted, came up with some of the uh, young men and they raided uh, the workshop and took them to Evin prison and they closed the door of drama workshop to put down the workshop. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't cope with the whole thing. Mm. So he committed suicide. And Iran has lost one of the fantastic playwrights that really broke my heart. And I always wanted to do something about it. Yeah, I should explain that in the teleplay, it's a play within a play, and you play a playwright who is, I guess you're saying, inspired by Abbas Nalbandian. It's it's quite an ode to him. I mean, you worked on this play. It's now this teleplay um, that seems quite prescient. Husheng John, I mean, it seems it's very resonant with what is happening in Iran today. Did you adapt some of what you had already been working on to speak to the current revolutionary atmosphere, or did it naturally just lend itself to that? Not at all. I, I didn't know what's going on, what will go on later. Uh, th- uh, this was a feeling. It was a sense. I, honestly, this play started to write in beginning of the pandemic, and we never changed it. Hmm. Because it feels like it's written for the uprising. You know that, right? It feels like it's written for this this period, post Amini's killing. Exactly, exactly. But uh, they keep asking me, how, how did you know? I said, I don't know. As a matter of fact, in my opinion, a writer, I didn't write this play. Something else came to me. I, I think that that's how it works. I said that I think you're a, a master of using your artistic talents and your artistic works to speak to our Iranian reality. Um, tell me about the impact that you believe art can have. I mean, it occurs to me that it's it's not easy to put together a teleplay like this. It, you know, it's a, there's a lot of effort, uh, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of resources that no doubt had to go into this. You could ask for airtime, I'm sure they'd probably give it to you to, and do a speech on Manitou and, you know, say this is why this regime is bad or, or or whatever. Tell me why you believe this way of moving information can be so impactful. I think, uh, uh, I think art, specifically theater, can have an amazing impact on the viewers, on the on people. Uh, maybe all sorts of art does that, does the same thing. But theater, because it's, theater is um, uh, is alive, so the impact is more more powerful. You know, for me, it, it's worth uh, more than a thousand demonstrations because people in Iran will see it. And I always wanted to do something that Iranian inside Iran could watch it. Mm-hmm. So I I really hope. It has an impact for Zan Zendegi Azadi, which I really believe in. And I love that slogan. I, I just love it. Also, I should say, my goal was not to do something on Rostam Sorab uh, academically. Uh, I wanted to do something very entertaining, very simple, so everybody can understand it. 
we all Iranian, we are proud of Ferdowsi and Shahnameh, but we don't know Shahnameh. We don't know much about Shahnameh. Maybe even 1% of the population of Iran know what's going on in Shahnameh, but, but we heard the name and we are proud of it. So I really wanted to do something entertaining um, entirely based on Shahnameh. I know some pseudo-intellectuals think any kind of entertainment in arts, in theater is cheap, but I think they are so wrong. And by the way, anybody who's uh, listening to this or watching this can go and uh, see this uh, teleplay. It's now available online. Um, and although wait till the end of this interview or the end of the show to do that, don't 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 go right now. Uh, you've had quite a year. It occurs to me, you know, since uh, since we last spoke, you had talked about uh, the fact that you were it, it was imminent at that point that when we spoke that you were going to go to New York and and appear in this program. I mean, this is just to to close the circle on the story of Husheng Tozi. You know, you're this guy who famously, um, despite your talent and success in Iran leaves has to leave after the revolution you end up working in a, a parking lot in New York near Broadway when you first come to New York four decades ago what was it like to be starring in a Broadway show the kite runner uh, last year that's an amazing story when I moved to um, New York in the beginning uh, my brother uh, who was working for for this um, big company as a supervisor told me Hushang, don't you think you should leave theater alone and uh, start working with me so soon you can buy a car buy a house da, 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 da. i said listen i cannot do that um, i'm able to um, to sleep on the bench of a park but i'm not able to leave theater this is my my heart this is my life so i did some off off broadway shows and one off broadway show tibetan book of the dead uh, by Jean-Claude Van Italy, which was uh, um, off-Broadway. And I always um, used to use my one-hour lunch time to go to these theaters and watch the pictures of the actors. Da, 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 da. It didn't happen. So I did a movie called Ferestade in 1983. And then eventually I moved to Los Angeles. And Broadway shows was always on my mind. And then 30 years later, maybe more, um, that just just happened to come on my lap. What did you learn from doing the kite runner? Oh, a lot. I'm telling you, honestly, I didn't want to go to, you know, to play a part. I wanted to learn the system of Broadway. It's an amazing system. It's everything that we, I could bring it down into Iranian theater and use, mm. which I'm going to do it. Any, any example of something you're going to steal from Broadway for Iranian, Iranian theater? I think one thing, one characteristic of Broadway show is to have to be laser focused. So whoever is working in, on Broadway are not doing a job because getting there is not easy and staying there is even more difficult. So everybody, everybody is dedicating himself to that play. Believe it or not, we had eight performances a week, two days a week, Wednesdays and Saturdays, two shows, and the show was almost three hours. Hmm. 
Uh, it's it's always a great pleasure to talk to you. I first I commend you on this new uh, um, teleplay, by the way, which you are uh, in this at the center of. I mean, uh, you you tend to. Work, develop these projects that, uh, speaking of um, being a workaholic, I mean, you tend to develop these projects where it's you on stage for the entire time carrying the whole thing. And it occurred to me, before I let you go, the last time you were on here, we were talking about your spectacular work that um, that you've been touring for some time now that is a as an ode to Feridun Farrakhzad, who you play, of course. And he's such a character that we think of in terms of his... Being a um, an icon of the pre-Islamic Revolution Iran, being someone who was unafraid to speak out, of course, as we see in in your show, what what do you think Feridun Farrakhzad would would make of of this moment um, and what's going on in Iran? Uh, this play was based on Feridun Farrakhzad, and we use Farrakhzad uh, as an example of. All the Feridun Farrakhzads. But one thing I, I, I want to say uh, about Feridun Farrakhzad, I think we should all be very grateful to him. He foreseen it years ago that people would come on the streets and shout down with dictator, mad with dictator. So uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And one more thing, if you allow me to talk about Shahzad uh, Reza Pahlavi or Reza Pahlavi, uh, whatever you like to, is that um, uh, he's doing a great job. I personally, I would help anybody who takes one step towards democracy and freedom. But me, personally, I'm not, I'm not belonging to any group, left, right, in between. No, I'm independent. I think an artist should be independent. People like you should always be independent. To, to be allowed later, if God forbid anything wrong happens, then you're allowed to criticize. This, this is the essence of being a reporter, being um, um, an actor or whatever, an artist or playwrights. And, but I, I really wish them, uh, wish them the best. And whatever I can do in my power, I will do for him or for anybody who is working for freedom. I think that's a, a very wise, perhaps, uh, uh, and and appreciated. Hushegatozi, um, uh, I'm uh, always grateful to have you on the program. Your wisdom, your talent, your experience is, is so, so precious to us. Thank you for taking the time today. Thank you so much, Jian. Thank you. I, I want to thank all the people working uh, in that media. I think it's so very important to, to continue on that, especially younger generation of Iranian um, they speak mostly in English, so they have to be, uh, you know, to be included, included in whatever um, is going on. And I really wish you the best. Merci. Hope to see you soon. You come, come back yeah. to Toronto, please. Yeah, with my broken English. Thank oh, you so much for bearing with me. <laughs> and hopefully I see you in Toronto. Bye-bye. <laughs>
This is Rook, episode 244, Strength of Characters. Remember to tune in to all things Rook-related. Our previous episodes, our videos, our funnies, our extras, all of that is at rookmedia.com, where you can also become a Rook member on our Patreon page by pressing the Support Us button. My next guest is a very talented Iranian-Italian singer-songwriter, guitarist, music producer, friend of our program, Take a listen to this. Little taste of the song Nabza Asphalt, an ode to the revolution right now for freedom in Iran, and the work of our next guest, Paymon Salimi. Paymon is a singer-songwriter, also known as the lead vocalist of the European pop rock band you were hearing there called the Allophones, although you may have seen Paymon, of course, playing with Ali Azimi or solo or in various derivations. Paymon was born and raised in Tehran. In 2004, he moved to Florence, Italy to pursue his lifelong passion in music. He studied guitar, obtained his master's in music technology, graduating with honors. Paymon has been active about the current situation in Iran. As I said, he has dedicated that latest single, uh, Nabza Asphalt, to all the victims of the Islamic regime's violence and op- oppression. His forthcoming album is called The Psychology of Letting Go. And we're actually going to get a preview of a couple of uh, more of his brand new tracks today. And right now, Paymon Salimi joins me from Brussels. Hello, sir. Hey, Jan. How are you doing? It's good to be back. Nice to have you back on the show, always. Um, I, I really love that song, Nabza Asphalt. What, what can you tell us about it? Thank you, brother. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I mean, just like many other Iranian artists, I was hit by what was happening. I decided to dedicate one of the tracks of the album uh, because that track uh, was supposed to be the fourth track of the of the upcoming album but I took it out, I changed out the whole lyrics, and I dedicated it to to what I was trying to express on what was going on, what's been going on, actually. And we gathered together with the band, uh, the Alphonse Influence. Uh, we did a few live takes, and uh, I re-recorded the vocals afterwards, but that's pretty much it. So Nabza Asphalt, if I... With my rudimentary Persian, asphalt is asphalt, right? It's like yeah, <laughs> but is it like the the feel of the street or the 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 scent of the asphalt? Or how would you uh, translate that? There's a little bit more to it, actually. Uh, I have this side art project. Um, it's kind of an obsession for for me. It's been an obsession since I was a child. I would see like shapes in the asphalt and have this really hobby thing to take abstract asphalt photographies oh wow yeah meaning uh, you you're walking on the street and you look in the ground and you see things uh yeah i mean there are some shapes that grab my attention and i 
I take some photos and then afterwards I do some post-production uh, on them, basically inverting the colors. I try to come up with like unique shapes and yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's just some sort of therapy for me. Hmm. And, and that song used to be, I mean, uh, the, the original title was, was Napsaw's Fault too, even if it wasn't about the protests and the women life freedom. Um, but I, I mean, those days I was seeing so many videos of people in the protests on the street and eventually they would run. So the camera, their cell phone would take, um, like would record the asphalt while they were uh, running because right. they were like, they were trying to escape from security forces right. and the ideas clash together. Just like when you say you've been inspired like other artists or affected, I mean, you're, you, you know, you're another person who, um, you left Iran a little less than 20 years ago. And, um, I have to think partly because you couldn't, be the kind of artist you want to be, play the kind of music you want to play had you stayed in Iran in the Islamic Republic. Um, yeah. You're seeing this 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 unprecedented uh, possibility uh, over the last six months and, and this outpouring both inside Iran and outside. H how have the last six, six months been for, for you from that perspective? What kind of emotions have you been going through, Paymon? Uh Well, it's been intense, definitely. I mean... It affects you on so many levels. Um, it affects you emotionally. It's it's a weird dynamic, to be honest. Uh, when you're outside, it's hard to find your spot. Like you don't know where you're standing most of the time because you don't know to what extent you, you can be a part of that because you're just out of that reality, out of that context. Mm. You know, just to define the line that I can uh, like to what extent I can express myself, I can have an opinion. On this why why is that? You think somehow because you're outside of Iran, you that that should limit your 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 ability to have opinions about what's going on? Uh, it's not about opinions. Definitely, you can. Uh, everybody can have an opinion, and nobody can uh, take away that right from you. But I could be I could be outraged about apartheid in South Africa without having to live in South Africa, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I mean, uh, what, I, what I'm trying to say is not that I don't have the right to express my rage or express my feelings or, uh, or object, you know, just artistically uh, something. But it's, it's, it's a very thin line to, uh, you know, what's, what's the line for me to say, okay, you know, because I, I have I've been outside that reality for mm. 20 years um and i i can only follow what's been happening there through social media and through mm. internet or some friends that um you know they travel they come back they tell you stories and i mean last time i was in iran it was seven years ago i've only been there three times since i'm out so i, I think it really limits your uh perspective you know even in the past, there has been uh, protests like the Green Movement, and mm -hmm. but they never artistically, they never intrigued me. Like I never came up with a song. But this time, it's just for the first time, I thought that I had I have something to say uh, because it's not about the reformists and the conservatives and 
it's not about any kind of leader it's just so legit this fight is so legit and then it's so true and deep uh, that you're trying to you're getting at something or trying to get at something that i'm trying to excavate because i want to understand what you're what you're feeling which is what is the context that you think you would be missing i don't mean to simplify things but we know what this islamic republic regime has been about you lived it growing up there um, you, your friends, your compatriot, your 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 brothers who you play music with, can't go and play gigs in Iran. I mean, we there's some basic things that we know about freedom. I can't go visit my family there. So, what is what would be the context that we wouldn't have um, that you would worry about? I'm not saying it's an it's it's illegitimate. I know there's there, it's an important point to make in terms of what people that lived experience inside Iran right now versus sitting in Brussels or in Toronto. But but if you can put it into words, what do you think it is that you're referring to? Uh, I just think it's a different experience. Like when I talk to my friends in Iran, uh, even over the recent months, um, I think the way that we perceive things through social media is way more powerful uh, in some aspects, but also it makes us miss some real points. I think that the reality that's been happening in Iran over the past four months might be slightly different for, for from what I've been perceiving through mm. social media. Mm. There are some facts that you cannot have any discussion on you know, like the economy is tanking people are big school girls are being poisoned i mean these are things that we yeah these are things that you have you you have uh, you can you can have a voice on and yes. you can you can comment on because these are facts that you can you cannot deny of course but i think there are so many subtle dynamics that when you're outside that society outside that context you just miss and you don't know can you think of one i i repeat the example that i that whenever I talk to my friends, yeah, they, they're pretty concerned and uh, some of them, they're really affected by this situation. But sometimes I feel like when you're in it, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you you just, you, you have to live your life, right. your routine. Life. I got you, I got you. And, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? And yeah. for us, outside, outside is just like, it, it feels like everything is suspended. Well, we, we were just, I was talking about this in our little roundtable earlier on this show, which is increasingly something that I'm, I don't know if I'm worried about it, maybe I'm worried about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely noticing and I, I sometimes I don't even know how to articulate it because I don't want, I don't want to take anything out of the, I don't want to take the wind out of the sails of those who are in the diaspora who are fighting for, you know, I was on a demonstration yesterday here in Toronto, but there does seem to be an increasing delta, like a, um, of a, a difference, a gap between the, let's call it enthusiasm or the expectations of those in the diaspora. You're in Brussels. You were there. There was a big demonstration there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you were on some rooftop taking a look at it. I saw one of your stories or so, you know, the, the enthusiasm that people are showing in the diaspora versus this episode we did last week we're talking to young people inside Iran, you, you know, we changed their names, we protected them, whatever. And these are protesters. These are frontline protesters. I don't know if you heard it. And he, every single one of them said, we're, we're kind of hopeless right now. Nothing's actually happening here. We all want regime change. But so you get a bit of a different feeling when you're out on the street in Toronto or in Brussels or in LA and you're like, yeah, we're doing this, you know, from what is actually happening. Is that what partly yeah. you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be, yeah, it can be 
concluded when I've, when I've been trying to sum up. Still, I mean, nevertheless, we can do a lot. We can really, uh, you know, uh, I think in all the revolutions and in my tiny little knowledge of politics, I think um, the international recognition of an opposition is the most important thing when some, some something is happening, when there's a change in the system and uh, in the regime. Uh, the international community wants to know who um, is going to deal with afterwards. When you put yourself in the shoes uh, of the international community, they would say, okay, we, we would do that. We would shut down the embassies. But after that, who are who would represent the, the people of Iran? Mm-hmm. So we don't mm-hmm. we don't have that. And I think that's what people outside Iran can really uh, try to focus on just to come up with some sort of board. I mean, there, there have been... Well, they're trying been, to. I mean, I guess... Yeah, that, they're that, trying yeah. to. It's, 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 it's really hard. Yeah. It's really... It can go wrong uh, in a blink of an eye. Like, it's a very thin line. And sadly, as we learned in Brussels, I mean, people are... the Those ambassadors are not being recalled and those embassies are not being closed. Um, there's a There's a particular lack of action being taken in Europe, despite what some of the leaders there are, you know, will pay lip service to. And um, when you say you've been hearing from friends inside Iran, uh, I'm actually going to ask you about your songs in a second to move on from this, but I'm just curious, do you, are you feeling, I don't know, somehow less optimistic about where things are at when you hear that uh, we're just living our lives in Iran and there isn't as much activity? Uh, honestly, no, I'm not less optimistic. I think for the first time uh, over the past 20 years that I've been outside Iran, I'm, I think this is going to go somewhere. But I think it would be pretty naive to think that it's a matter of a couple of years. Or, you know, um, I was uh, I was uh, heavily criticized by my own fans on Instagram because I didn't cancel a couple of shows that I had back in October and December. And their reasoning was was kind of weird to me. Uh, it, it was like, yeah, maybe just postpone your shows for for a few months until this thing is over. Like they would expect the regime, the IR regime, to go away in a few months. And I and I thought, oh my god, this is this is very dangerous kind of mindset. Like it's like way far away from any kind of reality. I think it's a long, it's a very very long process that has just started. There's a crack. There's a crack, and I think people have found that crack. Well, I, I, I would, I would characterize that as not optimistic. Uh, I mean, if if you if you're if you're classifying your your optimism as sometime in the future years there'll be the end of this regime, I would say that that's out of out of um, step with what a lot of people, uh, members of my family, people who, who've said, I mean, there were, you know, I, somebody I know who watches Iran very, very closely, you know, and he's deeply involved in this stuff, um, and, and active was telling me in October, this will be done by Christmas, you know, and then he moved the goalposts to Nowruz. And so, I mean, it's, you know, it's not, and these are informed people, you know, I mean, people got excited and thought that, and now everybody's kind of going revolutions take time. But I think to hear you Mm -hmm. say uh, it's, it's unrealistic within two years is would be very hard for a lot of people to hear because, you know, we're hoping to see something, right? Uh, I think many people would be, would be happy 
like super happy if they knew that in two years this thing would like give like would would lead to something really concrete. But I think what I meant is that I'm way more optimistic than I was before, like mm. two years ago. Okay. I think I, I had this numbness towards the political situation in Iran. It just like it was like a dead end for me. But then this thing really showed me that oh, people are way more politically mature. Mm. right now in Iran. I mean, the slogans, the the things they say, the things they follow. I want to ask you I want to ask you about the concerts. Um but uh, before that, you know, there's been hope, there's been things to be enthused about. There's also been tragedy and um I know you've been inspired to write during this revolution and I understand you wrote a song about Keon. This would be the little boy um, Kian Pierfalak, he was nine years old, ten years old. He's become one of the icons, really, of of the Iranian community around the world as a kid who lost his life in this uprising at the hands of the regime. Um, you've been kind enough to send us a demo version uh, to play a bit of this song. Is this a song that's going to be on the album, or is this a separate uh, song? Yeah, actually, this is going to replace the Nabza Asphalt, which I took from the album. Okay. Because uh, I released it back then and i transformed it but this one is going to replace then it's going to be the fourth track of the album what's this song called it's called Ruzaye Behtar, the better days let's yeah. just play a little bit of it this is a from the forthcoming record by paymon salimi a little song an ode to kion uh, called Ruzaye Behtar. take a listen to this <laughs> A little taste of the new song Ruzai Behtar from Paymon Salimi. Um, thank you so much, first of all. I mean, people rarely let um, any program play advanced copies of, of songs, let alone a demo version. Although that doesn't sound so demo to me. It sounds pretty finished. <laughs> uh, tell me about why why Keon so inspired you, Paymon. Uh, I mean, it's hard to tell which story hit me most among all the sad things that we've been living over the past few months. But there was something about him, his character, all his videos and, and the internet, like he would, the way he would introduce himself and he wanted to be like an inventor. He would start all these videos in the name of the goddess of the rainbow or something. But not only to him, but also to his parents, especially his mom. I think she's one of the smartest women in Iran, the the thing that she did in the interview wearing a red jacket, which uh, is like a declaration of war in their culture, you know, Bakhtiari, 
culture. It's it was it was all of it was like crazy. I just uh, I was so hit by it. It still feels, you know, it's almost surreal. The last six months, isn't it? When you talk about for, for, first of all, even that we have this this common lexicon, we have these names, we these people that our entire global Iranian community, when you talk about the, how the goalposts have moved for since they where they were for the last 44 years to where they are, where they've moved in the last six months, that, and we know who Keon is and Keon's mom and 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 Sarina and, and Nika and, and Khodanur and then Piru is the cheetah. I mean, it, it's it's a bit surreal almost that we've, that the conditions have created this. It's quite beautiful and tragic at the same time, right? Yeah, I mean it's definitely uh, if you're as an artist, it's it's very inspiring. It's a sad inspiration, but it's it, it moves you. It it constantly moves you, and you just want to do do stuff. You just want to create material for this. And uh, yeah, but I think I think sadly, but that's the price we have to pay for. Ruzaev that for mm. better days because uh, you know this situation cannot is not sustainable. It's not we all sustainable. Know it. Even if if we are all pessimistic, this is this is like a dead end for for the regime. And you know the moment you you start like throwing chemical stuff in in the schoolyards, yeah, trying to threat like because you wanna you wanna scare little kids that's i mean that's so pathetic like just um it's not even like it's i don't know i, I don't have any words for that I can't. slaughtering the young people they purport to represent yeah it's it's madness it's madness let, let me ask you um let me ask you Paymon, about this <clears throat> the situation with concerts because it's uh it's an it's an important discussion and it was something of a new one that uh, facing suddenly the Iranian community. So, so if we remember back to September and October when the uprising began and the revolution, and there was, there was a lot of, um, in a good way, I think there were a lot of people, Iranians around the world, keeping each other in check. You know, we got to keep the focus. We got to do. But one of the things that happened at that time was there was this dictate that sort of emerged that you know uh, artists should not be. Uh, uh, playing concerts at this time. This is not a moment for playing music and concerts and, and people shouldn't be doing plays and people shouldn't be making movies. Um, and you are one of the artists, uh, the musicians that kind of did defy that a little bit. You played a couple of shows and you got criticized for it. So so first of all, tell me how that experience was for you. And then, and then uh, I want to ask you about why you believe that people should play concerts, uh, which I think is a legitimate opinion, but um, um, not one that had a lot of oxygen three or four months ago. Um, yeah, it's a, it's such a delicate matter these days. But I think now we're past that phase. Yes. Uh, it would I'm, seem. I'm happy, I'm happy we are because I think people understood that it's not, it's not a two-month thing or it's not a three-month thing. <laughs> you know, it's a long process. So, uh we we eventually have to live i mean um let let me let me just uh like zoom out not not even as an artist like as a normal person um if you're just constantly bombarded by like 
you're attacked by the, these sad news every every day a sad thing happens and you're just receiving all this information you're just trying to digest it trying to cope with it trying to uh stay calm trying not to but uh i mean let's be honest for the human brain this thing is not sustainable now anything happens in the world you are constantly uh contaminated and uh like almost like it's like an aggression towards your privacy you whether whether or not you're on your instagram and you see all this information yes. and and you cannot filter out somehow that's right we are we are receiving atrocities from around the world in real time constantly into our hands in our pockets yeah, yeah. Exactly. let alone to this situation like being Iran Iranian outside Iran and something bad is going on there and you want to be informed you want to keep yourself up to date you want to you want to uh you want to know what's happening uh I think my point is just like the first thing that you have to do uh you should really know what's your capacity as a person I'm not talking about as an artist uh, as a person to digest this information and stay relatively mentally healthy you know because if i receive all all this uh all, all these info every day if i watch all these videos and then i'm a depressed sad um uh lowly human being mm -hmm. what's what's the use of me uh in this whole thing like what can i do as a citizen for iran if i'm just co co constantly uh, attacked by by this amount of news I think uh, the most important thing is just like you should know your capacity you should know to what extent you can you can absorb these things and you can process them and and eventually if you see you if you if you see you can't you just you have to protect yourself you have to give yourself some time and that's the point that I was uh, I was trying to get to it's just you have to live your life you have to have normal life. You have to have fun. Um, you have to go to concerts. You have to go to shows. You have to gather with your friends. You have to talk about stuff. You have to share the pain. You have to be surrounded by people. This is not this is not uh, the way you do it on your Instagram. Uh, just sharing stories every day, sad news. You just read it somewhere. You repost it. Which is good, yeah. We, but, we have to. But Paymon, is it is it a matter is it a matter of respect? Sometimes, I mean, if you know, Definitely. if if if, if four people are executed um, by this horrendous regime today, um, does it feel odd to go out tonight and dance to a DJ and and you know get drunk and party? Uh, I think that this this depends on like I think different cultures process the pain differently like uh, I think you know in our culture our culture is is the is the morning mm -hmm. culture even before Islam it was Avashan. it was like it's all about morning it's 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 been like that for a long time right, right. some other cultures they they get when when tragic things happen they dance they party they drink they just want to keep the spirit levels high you know <laughs> as the as the song I don't, I don't know I was quoting from a song that I don't remember but it's so it's it's up to us I mean but I think 
what we've been doing is is uh of no use like like attacking other people uh and one i mean one thing is a matter of respect of course you have to respect the victims but if you if you push yourself to an angle to an edge that you become like a useless human being because you're so sad you're so frustrated you're so uh you feel so lonely and desperate and powerless uh what's the use of it did it hurt you when some of your own fans um were upset at you for playing gigs um i mean more than hurting no i everybody was still i mean everybody's so aggressive these days and it's understandable you know we all wanna we all we, we all all have this rage because of all the shit that's been happening to mm -hmm. us so we, we we just wanna get it out of our system somehow so i would i really tried not to react like in a in an unpolite way so just I just said, yeah, this is your opinion. I respect it, but uh, I really think, I really think, even going to discos and dance. I mean, um, I know my friends in Iran were gathering together over the past few months, and on the weekends they tried to escape from this harsh reality they're mm. surrounded by and have a moment of peace and good time and. Um, it's understandable. I mean, that's that's it's a matter of survival. Also, mm. you should should somehow protect your mind and your soul. It's not, and yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's been the same. But uh, besides all this, I think when you're an artist and you have the responsibility to to, I mean, use your events, use your shows and expositions, and just to create like to. Uh, raise a little bit of awareness. I'm not saying I'm not saying to dedicate the whole content to because it's sometimes it's impossible. Like I cannot dedicate my my whole album to this movement, you know, because I'm an artist. I've been I've been processing, I've been working on that album for four years. It's not for me. It's not possible mm. to make every track of that album about this movement. But you can you can do small portions. I mean. But the, the important thing is just like when you're when you have the chance, when you have a platform, when you're on the stage, and you have you're all outside run, and people, non-Iranian people, come to your show. Even if you manage to like inform one of them uh, about what's what's been going on in Iran, I think you've done your job. You know, um, I'm yeah, not, that's I'm not that's actor. a big part of it. What you what you can do at those events. I mean, there's there's two things that I mean the the, the main thing that. I always repeat, people who listen to this program have heard me say this 50 yeah. times now, but the thing that I don't appreciate is the hypocrisy uh, within our, the community whereby it's the artists that have to bear the brunt of taking responsibility for the revolution. So no one seems to be saying you can't be a dentist or stop being a, an engineer because of the revolutions going on. But if you're a filmmaker or if you're a, a performer, a dancer, or if you're a singer, you're not supposed to be on stage. I mean, this has changed, as you say, now. But that, that type of hypocrisy, not to mention that 
um, people in the Iranian community were saying, you shouldn't be playing a gig right now. But then they would go and see Bruce Springsteen. You know, It's like we can go to concerts of non-Iranians, but we can't see, uh, which is just insane, right? I mean, what are we, what are we getting at here? So yeah, you just—I mean—you just nailed it for me, uh, Touche. Like, that's what I've been—I've been trying to say. Uh, all my posts uh, on, on this matter have been about this hypocrisy. Like, it's just the culture of like the double life because we're used to it. We're used to have a double life, and we keep—we keep doing this—the same thing. You know, people were posting close friends' stories uh, at some points, and they were—they were having parties, and that then they—they they would you would see a, a normal post about, I mean, just like, why, why would you want to do that? Who are you, who are you trying to deceive? Like, uh, it's, it's, this is not respect for me. This is not a matter of respect, to be honest. Like, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's what you, what you, what you just said, hypocrisy. It's just, um, lack of, you know, it's like lack of coherency with, with yourself just because you, you are so scared. We, we are all so scared to be judged by, yeah. It's um, it's always good to talk to you, sir, and and I'm excited about this new record that you have coming out April seventh. So you have a brand new. Sorry, the album's coming out when in the late April or something, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the first single is going to be out on April seventh, and uh, we're 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 going to play. Now you've told me that. So you sent us the song, and I got all excited yeah. because I actually love this song, and then you texted me and said, "But don't play the whole thing." See, this, this is called a tease. Um, yeah, let's keep it, keep it that way. <laughs> so it's called Men, uh, like me. Um, this is your brand new single. It's coming out April 7th. We're going to play a little bit of it. We won't play the whole thing just to go out. What can you tell us about this, Pei Uh So this is this is the first track of, that, of this concept album uh, that I made, uh, which is about this, this character. Uh, that goes through different phases of the relationship. Uh, it's uh, he's a ser- serial monogamist. I mean, I I, I talked about it the, in the last interview as yes. well. Uh, this is the first phase when he's like the center of his own universe. It, it's about his ego, um, and but the ego is taken as the human being's ego, not a person's ego. And humans being human beings' ego as as a as a species like. The, the things that we've been doing to the planet, to the to the environment, to to our home, to the to the earth, and like in the name of religion, in the name of politics, in the name of whatever, uh, but somehow we failed to protect this environment. Yeah, it's about. It's a very atheist kind of hmm. song, say like very anti-religion. Well, I look forward to people hearing the whole song. We'll play a bit of it now. It's 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 great work, and it's always good to talk to you. Thank you for doing this. Um, and, and I hope to see oh, you soon. Good. On I know you got, oh, there's a gig coming up in uh, San Francisco. Um, yeah, and there's one before in Brussels. It's, it's a charity event, actually, uh, for Women Life Freedom. We are collecting money for... Uh, all the girls that have lost one of their eyes uh, or both of them in the shootings. Uh, So I'm dedicating all the income of that concert. When is that? It's on on March 23rd in Brussels. And when is the San Francisco show for those listening there? San Francisco is April 7th. 
Okay. DNA alone. Okay. Does it make any sense to fly from Brussels and play one show in San Francisco? Have you thought maybe about adding an LA show, maybe go up north to Sacramento? I do. I do. I do have other works, production works, so I have right. to take care of. So it's yeah, it's for a good cause. Okay. <laughs> it's justified. Good to talk to you. Take care of yourself, and hope to see you soon. Stay man. here, man. Stay here. Thanks, Bye. bro. Bye-bye. Yeah. That's Paymon Salimi in Brussels and from his new record uh, that comes out uh, in late April. This is the, a brand new single that comes out on April 7th. Take a listen to a little bit of the song Men. قشر خاکستری پرچم افتخار بر کره ما زدی صحبت دل که شد دلو به خواب زدی بگو من بدون تو چجوری سر کنم دنیای تناغوز حرف کیو باور اشرف مخلوقات این همه معلومات پیله تنهایی تو اصر ارتباطات رحمی نکرده ای به هم نوان خود انسان به بند کشیم حیوان که جای چجوری سر کنم دنیای تناغوز حرف کیو باور کنم حسیری تو چنگه مش قدرت طلب دیگه مهم نیست من که گذشته آب از سرم Little advanced taste of the brand new single from Paymon Salimi, Men. It's coming out on April 7th. This is full time for Rook for today. Thank you to Paymon, Hushang, Massaw. Thank you to the Rook team Roham, KNZ, Anahita, Parisa, Pega, Meritor. Our website, rookmedia.com, is where you can find everything Rook related. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already. Find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. Mizun Mashi. Barzakh